Hello, everybody. Welcome to... I'm talking here. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Came from the soul. It did come a from the bassy, soul. robust soul. Thank you very much. So, uh, I'm Aaron Day. I'm Rob Brent. And this is the I'm Talking Here podcast. Everything to do with the oddballs and nuances of films, movies, cinemas. Across the big screen, the small screen, the portable screen. But it's not just myself and, and Rob here. We've also got... Here's Adam. Adam. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm glad to be back. Excellent. Well, we thought to ourselves, hmm, is there some sort of way in which we can go from a low quality podcast and maybe go an inch below that? I think we can go more than an inch. Excellent. So Adam's going to be coming up later on with his The Good, The Bad and The Bowron feature, but he's also going to be helping us with the rest of today's podcast. We're going to be looking at uh, inspired by Mandy, which we'll be reviewing later on. We've been inspired by fake TV adverts that are found in films, and some of them are absolute gems. We're also going to be bringing you our 30-second recommendations nearer towards the end of the podcast. So let's get talking. Right, so the film we've watched this week is The Delight That's Mandy, and within that film you have a fantastic little advert about the Cheddar Goblin. Um, so based on that, we thought we'd look in terms of what the best fake adverts are in films. So we've all put lists together, and I think we're going to try and decide which one is actually the best. So we're talking fake TV adverts here, aren't we, Rob? Fake TV adverts in a film. So they can't, they can't be real. They can't be like vintage commercials. They've got to be things that were made specifically for the film that they feature in. Yes. And also they can't be uh, like adverts that were made for the film. Like Prometheus did it a lot with David. Yeah. But they weren't actually featured really within the film. Right. They've got to be just be happen in the film. In the film. So um, the, the Cheddar Goblin in the film Mandy. Right. To start with, Mandy is one of the most bonkers films. Obviously, we'll come to the review of that this film later on. But um, about halfway through the film, uh, Nicolas Cage's character walks into his house and he sees this TV advert on to do with the Cheddar Goblin. And Cheddar Goblin is some sort of brand of cheddar cheese. But it is... It's mac and cheese, I think. It's, right. And it is, it's freaky. It's got a little bit of a psychedelic sort of chill edge to it. And it's very, very memorable when you come to watch the film. Can, anyway. Can I tell you, it was inspired yeah. by a movie called The Ghoulies, which the I know... The Ghoulies, as in G-H-O-U-L-E, yes. L-I-E-S, right? I believe this yeah. is Adam's favourite film. We might hear from that film in the future. Ooh, right, okay. Okay, okay, fun. Okay, I look forward to it. Um, so, um, do you want to start us off, Rob? Yeah, do you want to fire one out? So, we've got um, one of the best ones mm-hmm. has to be... Uh, Globo Jim. Go for it. Dodgeball. So you have... What's his name? Ben Stiller's name? In the film? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. You have uh, him, Can't Ben remember. Stiller, um, advertising for Globo Jim. And it's just filled entirely with uh, funny moments in. Mm. Um, it just takes a real slant in terms of, of fitness being an actual... Uh, genetic disorder mm. and all these elements within and the way it's staged the way it's put together is just the height of hilarity and really sets up I think it's the first time you see his character in the film really sets up um, how dislikable he actually is yeah it really sets him up as the comedic villain mm. of the piece doesn't it mm. so yeah I would say 
it is central to the whole vibe of his character. Yeah. Excellent. Adam, what about you? Uh, I've got one. It was from uh, Robocop. Oh, <laughs> I know which one. Yeah, go on. I've chose Newcomb. Newcomb. Yep. Best uh, family game. It's just, it's just a juxtaposition between like how all the family and like same as, oh, Pakistan has invaded your borders. Uh, you haven't dismantled your MX stockpile. Uh, that's, that's it, Buster. No more military aid. That's just how that is then juxtaposed with fun for all the family board game. <laughs> and it's just the whole setup of it is like a Hasbro board game. Yeah. But then they've included the serious attitude of Cold War. But you think that fake TV advert is well ahead of its time in terms of actual board games that you can get nowadays. You yeah. think you could get a board game now called Pandemic, where your job is to try and stop <laughs> a, a, a pandemic going on and, and, and causing a disease-filled apocalypse, essentially, and stopping like yeah. massive amounts of people from it's being killed. It's kind of like killed. the irony of that. Yeah. There probably is a game called Nukem out now. Probably is. With all Fun these... Fun for all the family. Fun for all the family. Okay. With all these... Also, how it's like presented as a Connect Four. So, I have an advert mm-hmm. that fits in very closely to your Globo Gym one, mm-hmm. which is lots of hugging bear from Toy Story Three. Right. Because actually, what it does is it it creates almost like a plot twist, like a curveball. So it's an advert actually promoting the villain of the film. Is it in the film? Yeah, lots of hugging bear. He, he's in the film. Is the advert in the film? I'm sure it is. Oh. Unless that it. was just a piece of marketing for Toy Story 3. Maybe it was. Maybe you're disqualified. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting us to now. Just, just because I got the answer right last week with my weird action movie doesn't mean oh. that you can then discredit me for mine. Carnage Squared. Uh, Carnage Squared, is, it will be made one day. No, terrible. Uh, so. Uh, are, we, are we doing our yeah. best? Cause no, no. I, no, that, I'm just saying that's, that for me was mm. something that I distinctly remember as, uh, you know, the, the villain being advertised in a way that was actually he was supposed to be like this wise old sage and turns out he was actually a manipulative little pink bear <laughs> purple i would say purple sorry the other one ghostbusters mm. yes yeah yeah that's it that's it that's, <laughs> all, that's all that is, is um... it, it is um so it is it is the thing that sort of that um allows the story to kind of go into that montage where they then start to pick up more customers, they start to get more popular yeah. as a team. Um, it's integral. Yeah. I think being used cleverly in the film is mm. quite good. Because even with the, the Mandy, he's just had his whole emotional... He's uh, had his whole world turned yeah. upside down. So to then have the Cheddar Goblin being so sinister but also slightly comedic yeah. really works within. Um, but another one that kind of does that, the film Serenity has fruity OT bars. Have you seen Serenity? So is is Serenity the film, the most recent one with Matthew McConaughey and... Oh, and no, Hathaway. not that, not that We're one. going back. Okay. We're going uh, Josh Whedon. So oh, of course. Firefly. Yeah, sorry. got to do sorry, the amazing yeah. film Serenity. Yeah. The reason fruity OT bars is so good is because it uh, leads into River Tam beating everyone up in the bar because she's a, it's a trigger for her. So she's like a sleeper yeah. agent. As soon as she hears fruity OT bars, which is like, uh, it's quite psychedelic. It's all yeah. like Japanese colors going through. And um, she all of a sudden just goes into this amazing fight sequence. So in terms of for an advert doing something for the film, yeah. fruity OT bars every time. It sounds like it's her own version of having a reverse epileptic fit. Yeah, I mean, 
the epileptic fit is amazing. <laughs> and often, acrobatic. And, yeah. Often you don't say. Like, <laughs> no. So, so yeah, that would be, be mine for serving the plot. Adam, any more from you? Uh, yes. Uh, it's from the ballad of Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. Oh, I'm Ricky Bobby, and if you don't, um, if you don't chew Big, Big Red, Red. <laughs> you can't say the rest, though. <laughs> but it's, just, it's like, because there's a montage of yes. all the adverts he does. <laughs> it's him in the same, uh, same, pose. same pose with uh, different products every time. Yeah. So we've got, uh, why don't you treat your family to this hunting knife this Christmas? <laughs> So Ben Stiller yeah. and 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 Will Ferrell, they seem to and and that sort of that what were they called? Were they called the Brat Pack? Them guys were they part of that same group? Like those yeah. guys that came yeah. from that Saturday Night Live yes. era, mm-hmm. all were all loved a fake TV advert because within that you could also include Booty Sweat from Tropic Thunder, as well, yeah. Yeah. and and the whole thing of of the the character Alpa. Chino yeah. and his and, and and him promoting was it an energy drink? I think yeah. 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 And he's just got he's just got butts all around him. <laughs> it's, it's actually Al Pacino though. No, it is not. What? Uh-oh. I've seen Al Pacino. I need to talk yeah. to you later on. I'll I'll show you Al Pacino doing it. What about what, uh, doing that advert? Yeah. Like him doing it. Like, and but in the, all around. But in the film, it's yeah. it's the oh, yeah, it's the, the rapper film. character, isn't it? Who does it? But doesn't he do it later in the credits? But then Al Pacino comes out. No, I think he does. Is that not I'm, I'm going to say he does. Is that I, I think Duncan I've seen Chino? that. Just like K9 drove him to the sea in Doctor <laughs> it, Who. It's done. Yeah, it's it's booty sweat and Buston. <laughs> <laughs> no, booty sweat and Buston. No. It's yeah. like you say they do the two drinks. They do that awkward comedy because it, it is in the Global Gym one, and it's very much yeah. why Anchorman is so good because it's almost yeah. that same quality to it. Yeah, and the ballad of Ricky Bobby, like when he's having the interview. And he can't. Con- he doesn't know what to do with his hands. He's just genius, <laughs> and it, it all goes into that. Oh, I might be swayed with Ricky Bobby. It, Ricky Bobby. He's got two first names. What, like- <laughs> what those adverts are really good at as well is taking the Mickey out of like celebrity endorsements, yeah. and how and how companies will try and just sort of shoehorn a celebrity into a particular type of endorsement. Can I link that with one? Go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know Wayne's World. Yes. The uh, endorsement scene. Yeah. He goes, I will never bow down to sponsors. And then he like, opens a can of Pepsi, drinks it, and then smiles at the camera. <laughs> right, and it goes back to... Um, That's like a meta advert, yeah, isn't it? It yeah. goes back to... What's his friend called? Uh, Wayne and... Yeah. Garth. Garth. And yeah. Garth's like wearing Reebok and says, <laughs> yeah. yes, it's just all despicable. <laughs> <laughs> um, other TV advert that is very important, uh, Beetlejuice. Yes. So when Beetlejuice advertises himself as as kind of a, a problem solver for people's needs or ghostly paranormal needs, he says to the camera, "Just say Beetlejuice three times." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that again is using a fake TV advert to move the plot on and get it going. It's a great gimmick. So remember the um, Joker advert from the Tim Burton uh, Batman? Yeah, on the beach. No, I don't remember that. It's on the yeah. beach, isn't he? No, it was like a deck chair. Yeah, it's like basically what was the plot, I believe, that he puts chemicals within yeah. uh, like sanitary products like hairspray mm. and like all that. And he broadcasts a fake advert saying, mm. try a new Joker spray, but you probably already have. Right. Sort of thing. I don't remember Do that. Do you not remember no, it? Do you know what it is? Because I've not seen Batman in a long, long time. I haven't either. When I was doing research, when I watched that, I remembered it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but you can see that's also one that kind of furthers the plot because basically uh, a reveal 
of um, one, the plan, but two, uh, like it reflects the carnage yeah, of yeah. the Joker, like having an advert to kind of set everything up. I, I think I've got the ultimate one for that, though. Mm-hmm. The plot. Yeah. Buzz Lightyear. Yep. Yeah, definitely. When he finds out it's not a toy. Yeah. I don't know whether that's the... Like, the other ones are funny, great on that, but in terms of the weight that advert carries for that character is massive. That moment when he goes into the room yep. and realises he is just a toy and there's loads of versions of him is monumental. I, th- I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I think that's the best one. I think it I might think, be. I think in terms of importance to the plot and I think in terms... Because a lot of these adverts are there for kind of comedy value mm-hmm. or for some sort of... Sort of they're, there, they're there as common as like a gimmicky value. Yeah. Um, they're not there to really drive the plot or to twist the plot or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The Buzz Lightyear advert is huge. And I still laugh at the line, not a flying toy. And also, I still to this day believe that even though it's not my favourite film of all time, uh-huh. in a formulaic sort of way, Toy Story is the best film that has ever been made. I'd agree. Yeah. Would you? Yeah, yeah. I remember my dad was away and I filmed it on my camcorder yeah. so he could watch it. But then I didn't realise how tapes worked. <laughs> so we had, had to watch it on the camcorder rather than on the TV. That's brilliant. Shaky That's... cam. Oh, excellent. Were you holding it the entire time? I was time? holding it the whole time. I just had it in my head. He's not here. He's not going to be able to watch this. So I filmed it on my camcorder and then made him watch it on that instead of just sitting down and watching TV. Anyway. Okay, so in, in no particular order, let's put our best three out there. Buzz Lightyear's TV advert in Toy Story definitely goes yeah. in. Maybe right at the top. Two more. Um, do you ah. have to mention Lacuna Inc. from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Yeah, that could work. I, I, yeah, I just think that film's amazing, but I, I quite like the style of that. Also, the uh, the Coagula ad- advert in, <laughs> in Get Out as well. Oh, yes. When he's, when he's sitting in front of the TV and it's and it's... You know, embrace the coagula. That's technically a kind of a TV that advert going true. on. It's got those TV advert vibes. I thought you were meaning a Zoolander one. What's that? Acula or something? Uh, yeah, I think so. Anyway, I still think Buzz Lightyear goes in there. What else? I will put the Globo Jim. I'll put the Ricky Bobby one. Okay. Or the, Glo- the montage. See, Ricky Bobby and Globo Jim are quite. But I'd, I'd, I'll, put, I'll put Globo Jim because that introduces a character. Yes. Like Ricky Bobby, you already know, and it's very, yeah. very funny what he does. But okay. the global gym serves another purpose as well as just being hilarious. Yeah, I'll so many jokes. Put that there. So yeah. Globo Gym, Buzz Lightyear. Should we do Ghostbusters? I think Ghostbusters yeah, has to go in. Is that it? Yeah, sorted. Yeah. Sweet, done. Definitive. So now we are going to come to our review of Mandy, which is a psychedelic horror starring Nicolas Cage. Um, Andrea Riseborough uh, and Linus Roach, who, yes, is William Roach's uh, son uh, and is a, a very fine actor in his in his own realm. So Mandy is a, a full blooded 18 certificate psychedelic horror starring Nicolas Cage as a lumberjack who lives with Mandy, who is an aspiring artist. Now, they have this idyllic life together, living in what's called the Shadow Mountains, which I think is in California, um, and it's set during the 80s. Um, Now, this idyllic life becomes shattered when a leader of a religious cult called Jeremiah um, spots Mandy and uh, a home invasion commences. Now, 
The reason why I'm not going too much into this is because Rob's going to do a, a large portion of this review in. Uh, the three of us have all seen this film, and it's definitely one of those things where the less you know, the better. So actually, on this occasion, we're going to try to not be too spoilery where possible, which, as you can hear from the sniggers in yeah, this room, is how. is easier said than done. So I'm going to apologise now if we if we do spoil the film in any way for you, um, but we will we will try our best. So Rob, over to you. Good luck. I, I was going to say, <laughs> just spoil it. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew beforehand. I'd seen like the pitch on the internet in terms of Nicolas Cage yeah. covered in blood. I knew that it was going to be something special, almost something just pure madness. Yeah. But I still don't think I was prepared for what I actually witnessed. I mean, I feel like it was kind of two films. So you had like your beginning part. It was even. Uh, what was it? The Children of the New Dawn. You had the title up yeah. um, after the initial almost music video that you had at the beginning, um, which was more like it was reminding me of like David Lynch. I felt like I was watching Twin Peaks. I was going to have mm. fever dreams again. Um, and just leaned through that. And Nick Cage is there, but he doesn't really do too much. So that when you get to the second part, titled Mandy, that's really just when, when it all, all really just goes off. Um, yeah. I'd say it was uncomfortable. I was amazed how scary Mandy's face was. And they used it very well. In what way do you think it was scary? I thought when she was coming out of the water, yeah. there was the fire, just her face. I just think, her eyes, I don't I know. think she looked sultry. I think she looked... I, I think it was a very clever way of showing the the sheer sort of raw love and passion that those two characters have for each other. Yeah. She, the thing is, she is not... She she is, she is in, she is imperfection, in the sense that she's got that big scar on her face, and she, you know, she's an aspiring artist. She, you know, she's she's constantly, and in fact, the book that she reads is about imperfections as mm -hmm. well. And I found that actually, the reason why they inv you that the director invests so much time into Mandy in the first half of the film is because I think he wants the audience to have a real connection with Mandy uh, yeah. and probably less so with Nicolas Cage's character because yeah. his time comes much later. Don't get us wrong. Like I had that connection as well. I think mm. like the parts where uh, she was in the shop and like she'd already been, been pegged for this whole invasion Yeah, and she was, it's quite, quite normal really. There was just something about, it was maybe later on where you had Jeremiah and very long hold just in his face and it was mm. morphing between him and Mandy's face um, it kind of created that creepy feel and I suppose then going further in the film I felt like that was an intention because yeah. it kind of messes with what um, reality actually is mm. especially the, the last shot really puts this in the forefront um, and just that, that whole that whole part from it once you get the madness of Nick Cage just does even though you've got like the different colours and the psychedelic feel beforehand, yeah. it really does just go off to a to another realm. Um I thought it was too long. Right? Same. I put you too thought, long. You thought the same. In, in what waiting? Like I think that it was hour fifty about, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah I feel times. like the first half should have been shorter. Yeah. Like, uh, I feel first half should have been I think it all could have been shorter, but I think especially the first half Bits of it, I feel like you could have. Uh, I think an hour and a half would have been a perfect time for it. Yeah, really. completely agree with you. It, it, it's it's a film that would have 
really benefited from like Roger Corman, who was a, an absolute genius when it came to short, sharp editing, get to the point, show me, don't tell me, all that sort of stuff. And Roger Corman would have come in there and he would have slapped 20 minutes out of that film easily. Easily. Do you think you'd have been able to descend so far, though? Because I feel like having that long, long wait in the the, the beginning of the film mm. really helped you to go down into this madness. Where if it was shorter, you wouldn't you wouldn't have as much time to to sink down into it. There were segments in the first half of the film where he was where the director is it pa- Pavos Kosmatos or uh, yeah, Panos. Panos sorry, where he is using certain editing techniques particularly when Jeremiah sees Mandy for the first time and he does that sort of repeating editing technique, which I found um, gimmicky. Mm. Ah, it didn't It didn't feel like... Go on. I was going to bring that up as well, because I felt like that entire bit where it's slowly going through everyone's faces, there goes yeah. on hers, there goes... I felt like he was trying to be pretentious a bit. Like I feel like he's kind of like heard it somewhere else before and went, oh, it'll look cool. Mm. But I feel like bits like that that could have like shortened. It did feel like at points where the director didn't quite know what sort of director he wanted to be, yeah. and that's fine. You know, it's it's a it's very much an it's very much an experimental film, mm. and it's very much something that experiments with lots of different tropes within not just within horror films, but also within kind of stoner movies and things like that as well, and. I I felt like he was trying to find ways to tell the story in the in the best fit possible, which is absolutely fine because that's what a good director should do. But it did feel that it lacked a consistency in terms of tone. And that's again yeah. not necessarily a bad thing. I mean you look at films like From Dusk Till Dawn, you know, that goes from a you know a hostage movie to a to a, a rabid vampire film within the space of half an hour. Yeah. You know, and and Mandy goes from being a psychedelic horror film to becoming a mad, crazy dash of vengeance in the yeah. last sort of half an hour to 45 minutes. Um, so there's nothing wrong with sort of switching the genre or doing a genre switch sort of midway through the film. But it's almost as if he, he almost kind of lost his nerve with the psychedelic stuff as well. I, I feel like he, he had this film. Mm. I feel like he maybe cast it. <laughs> with someone the casting other, is excellent. Yes, I, I think definitely. cast it with someone other than Nick Cage. Right, he had that in mind. Wrote this film, and then someone said, "We got you, Nick Cage." And all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? All of a sudden, he was like, "Oh, if that's the case, <laughs> we are changing tact." Yeah, because like you couldn't. I don't think anyone, and I don't particularly mm. like Nick Cage. Do you oh. not? No. Okay, <laughs> I know, that's like, no, I just. But actually, doing doing that, what he did, mm. I, I don't know who else could have pulled that off. But it was ridiculous. It was it was then funny. Mm. I was I couldn't comprehend what was going on, <laughs> on the screen I, other than to laugh. I liked that it was not afraid to get nasty. No, I liked definitely. the fact that it, it wasn't afraid to be properly blood soaked and to um, and <laughs> to statement and to really and yeah and to be no holds barred, especially within that. You know, within the last sort of forty-five minutes of the film, mm-hmm. I think the the there is a chainsaw fight in it, which oh, is, chainsaw fight. Can we? Can which we is which is excellent. We can talk spoil. about the chainsaw. <laughs> there is a chainsaw fight between 
between Nick Cage's character and and a, and a, a villain from this from this group. But that's cool. Yeah. But yeah. then to have where Nick Cage walks in with his chainsaw, revving it up, going in, Trying to rev and it, have yeah. the other guy pull out <laughs> his extra long chainsaw, like a chainsaw fight. Fair enough. But him bringing that out was just. And at that point, you've already seen so many things. You're thinking, what? It's a is bit going like um, you know, Crocodile Dundee. He goes, <laughs> that's, <"What?"> a, <laughs> of Crocodile Dundee that's not a want? that's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. You call that chain. So, yeah, this is a chainsaw. Yeah, it definitely was that. And, and that's the thing. I think there were there were some parts of the film where it didn't. It wasn't afraid to not take the Mickey out of itself, but not take itself overly seriously as well. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it it was very keen to obviously have a, a, a an aesthetic uh, feel to it, but also at the same time realised that it was going into some really bonkers territory and not to. Um, be overly, like you say, like oh, to not because I think if if it was really a pretentious film, it would have taken itself a lot more seriously. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think um, it was, of, I think it was quite my, knowing in some. Parts. All my problems are really from the first half. Mm. I think that I served think, it well. Yeah, I think it did serve it well. If you, if you had to push me on what I think was bad about it, or like what was not as good, I'll probably say well some bits in the first half. When you get with the chainsaw fighting. Well, even, <laughs> even and tigers, that, yeah. and tigers. The fact is, one of his first moves is to build that axe. like, And yeah. then has almost a Marvel superhero fight <laughs> with the other guy next to the burning car. Yeah. Yes. You can tell it was done on a very small budget as well. Because yeah, so so much of the so much of the sort of aesthetic sort of mind bending feel mm-hmm. to it is done in post, mm-hmm. and it's done you know those sorts of effects you could very easily do on Adobe Premiere Pro or something like that. You know, are you saying we should make the sequel to Mandy? Mandy, Mandy, <laughs> Mandy two, Mandy two. This time it's personal. Yeah, two man. There, there is that. There, so there is a scene. Hats off to Nicolas Cage because oh, if you need somebody to do nutty bonkers he's the guy to do nutty bonkers for you and there is a scene which i'm calling the bathroom of emotion scene <laughs> yeah where he it's it's all one shot it's all one take and he just goes in there full-blown hammy method acting you know wearing no trousers and and with a bottle of vodka and, and just effectively goes through every single sort of emotion that his character is going through after some sort of cataclysmic events that have taken place um and it was it was his version of ron burgundy's sort of glass box of emotions except much longer involving a lot more alcohol and a lot more blood yeah i mean that that whole scene kind of then because it was funny yeah yeah i did i did it was so over the top. Yeah. But I was trying to think, how would I react in that scenario? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'd do that as well. Would I cage it up? But yeah. Maybe. But it is, like we mentioned, the Cheddar Goblin. Yeah. It worked well because you had then this long shot of him just screaming and down in this vodka to come out and watch uh, an advert about a Cheddar Goblin <laughs> being sick on on little kids as they go, yay! Just yeah. this, this whole contrast um, to leading into his whole revenge. My yeah, uh, thing was, like, you know when you want a laugh? Mm. Be unsure if you should laugh. Yes. That was my entire thing. I was sitting there thinking, this is funny, but I'm watching a horror film. Yeah. Is it meant to be funny? There's nothing wrong with with approaching that sort of film and watching those certain scenes and saying to yourself, this is absurd. Yeah. Because it's 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 been made in that way and it's supposed to have a myriad of different reactions to it. I would compare it 
to Robocop. Because Robocop on okay. the surface, I would say, if so, if you went to someone to tell them about Robocop, yeah. it would sound like an action film. Yeah. But if you watched it, it is got a lot of comic elements. It's also yeah. incredibly it. political as yeah. well. Um, and dystopic uh-huh. as well. So that's why I would kind of... Like Mandy, if I would describe it, you would think it's like some weird action horror mm. sort of thing. When you look at it, it's got a lot of bizarre elements. Mm. Well, the the gang they'd summon with the horn, like something straight out of Hellraiser. That yeah. Kind yeah. Of, like, <laughs> like the outfit. And yeah, the, the biker gang. Yeah. yeah. The, you never really the saw ex- them, Well, they? the explanation was the tainted LSD. Which then when, <laughs> when Nick Cage goes to do it himself and it just links straight into his um, the apocalyptic vision and his yeah. face all melting off and stuff was yeah. uh, again just another funny moment, but very like again in that's your face. that's that shows a, a confident director. Um, yeah, okay, a little scatter shot in terms of tone and mood and things, but a confident director who's not afraid to try different things mm-hmm. and to have those kind of LSD moments to almost be animated, yeah, or the which they were two mm-hmm. D animations oh, yeah. was quite daring was that his dreams he's he only dreamed in cartoon yeah his dreams and his and his quick little lsd based sort of vision yeah that he had right um so final question regarding this like we do with all of our reviews so far is um in 15 years time would this film be deemed as a classic is it timeless is it something that in 15 years time will it hold um will, will it will it hold steady Potential. I, I felt like I was watching a film from the eighties, almost, in in the sense of it. I think it did a good job there. It 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 has cult status yeah, written all cult. over yeah. it. It really 100%. does, and I think for that reason, it will it will maintain a very steady fan base for many years yeah. to come. I reckon, and it it goes into that that canon of of Nicolas Cage films that people look back on with fondness because actually Nicolas Cage on his on his on his best day is raising Arizona mm-hmm. and on his most bonkers day is this or or the Wicker Man or something like that, you know? Yeah. No, I definitely. Is uh, it classic? <clears throat> I, for a niche group it'll be a classic. Yeah. Uh like I don't I watch it with my parents. Did you? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> you watch this film with your parents, okay? Uh, my ma was like, let's put a horror on and I went, right, I've been recommended this one. And I think they both fell asleep. <laughs> one of them. One How of them, do you fall asleep during that film? But the thing is, like, because they just thought it was too weird and mad. They were like, "Right, I'm out." Right. <laughs> so rather, rather they're, leave they're, the room. They're out. They're out. They're out consciously. <laughs> consciously. So the I definitely think. <laughs> for I niche, wish I could do that. <laughs> for, <laughs> for a niche group, it'll definitely be it's, it's, a classic. Yeah. It's a cult classic. It's a cult, cult classic. But it will never have millions cheering. Okay. And now it's time for... The good. The bad. And, and the, the Bowron. What have you got for us? Right, well, I've got a film. So just to let people know, first of all, that this is Adam's weekly feature where he tries to convince us that we should watch slash appreciate a really bad film that he thinks is underrated well this film was released in 1993 yep good year vintage year Mm -hmm. it has a 4.0 
out of 10 on IMDb. That's higher than the 1.8 from last <laughs> week's uh, Jurassic yeah. Shark. Oh my goodness. And this stars some good actors. Yep. Bob Hoskins and Dennis Hopper. I know exactly where this is going. I know exactly where this is going. Do you know where this is going? No, I don't. Do you not? No. Adam, over to you. It is the Super Mario Brothers film. Oh, no, I do. Oh, (laughs) right. Never, never. Now, I've seen this film, right? And I remember seeing it. I saw it in the cinema. I was... (laughs) I was... Well, I was was nine. So I... And I thought... I, I loved Super Mario... And I love Super Mario Brothers films. I had a suit. I had a Nintendo. I had a Super Nintendo. I was, I was so looking forward to this film, and it ended up being such a crushing disappointment. There is nothing you can say over the next five minutes, Adam, that will convince me to watch this film again. Good luck. Um, just to set the scene of what, <laughs> <laughs> of what the film is about, there is an opening monologue, which I've printed off. So this is being set the scene. Uh, a long, long time ago, the Earth was ruled by dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> they were big, so not a lot of people went around hassling them. <laughs> Actually, no people went around hassling them, because there weren't any people yet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> Just the first tiny mammals. Basically, life was good. Then something happened. A giant meteorite struck the Earth. Goodbye, dinosaurs. But what if... The dinosaurs weren't all destroyed. What if the impact of the meteorite created a parallel dimension? <laughs> okay. Where the dinosaurs continue to thrive and evolve into intelligent, vicious, aggressive beings, just like us. And hey, what if they found a way back? Nothing see the <laughs> thing is yeah. how does that how does that for anybody that is a Super Mario Brothers or Luigi fan go into that film thinking, oh yeah, this sounds like an obvious Mario Brothers film? This is how I'm going to defend it. Go. It's not. Basically, I feel like the problem was that people entered this film thinking it was a Super Mario Brothers film. But it is a Super Mario <laughs> Brothers film. I know it, it is. is by name, by and name. it is by the two right, lead okay. characters. It is by name and by the characters within it. Um, but I think the plot, if you forget all about it being Super Mario, right, is actually quite a good plot. Uh, like, sort of like these uh, like sci-fi fun romps that uh, used to have in like the 80s and 90s. Um, Dennis Hopper, uh, sorry, the acting, I think is pretty good. I know that they hated acting in it. Apparently yeah. they all got drunk throughout. Mm. Yeah. But... I think Dennis, horribly injured as well. Mm. But I think Dennis Hopper plays a brilliant villain, like he always does, right? Even though he looks nothing like Bowser. Of course, he's not. He's called King Cooper, but he's obviously. Yeah. Um, I think Bob Hoskins. I think he was pretty good in it, um, and whoever else was in it was really good as well. I um, what? Yeah. From Ice Age, he did the voice of Sid. What's his name? Wasn't he in it? Yes, I believe he was. Uh, I think all the actors pretty well round good. Um, Funny enough, this does for some reason decide to not stick to anything to Mario. No. Um, it bigs up the plumbing, which is a bit that's never even mentioned in the games. It's just assumed. Just so you know, Adam, this film angers me. I feel angry at the moment, even like reflecting on this film. It, it ruined my idea of what Super Mario Brothers was. I feel like if it was called something else, it was called like the Plumbing Bros Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been, I think, would have been actually seen as quite 
I won't say it would be a brilliant film. I'll say it would get like a six or a seven. Four. Isn't he called Mario Mario or something? But that makes sense because they're called the, <laughs> because they're called the Mario Brothers. So of course it would be the last yeah, name. Yeah, Mario, Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Because the scene where they get arrested by the police. Yeah. And the police officer's got like a shoe in his shoulder and he goes, What's your name? This is my theory regarding the yeah. Super Mario Brothers movie, right? The studio executive said, right, we have the, the the cinematic rights to these particular Nintendo characters. And we also happen to have this dystopic sci-fi script that we can't seem to get off the ground. Why don't we amalgamate the two together and see what comes out from it? And it's going to clearly be a cash cow for us because everybody loves Super Mario at the moment. I completely agree. I think because some bits are just... <laughs> Out of nowhere. Yeah. But I still would say that if you discard everything, like, not perfect, because there are some scenes. Not think, perfect. It's not perfect. <laughs> there are some scenes that make no sense. I think when... It's ridiculous. Because they want, basically, they want to merge the dimensions back together. Yeah. And they have to do up again a piece of the original meteorite that causes this. Uh, but that's on Princess Daisy, mm. who's in the human dimension, not the dinosaur one. So they have to travel to the human dimension to get it back. And at one point they do merge it. Mm. And this scene always confused me, basically. Because what uh, King wants to do, he wants to de-evolve all the humans back to apes. Yeah. Right? Because he does that on his own universe where he de-evolves people back to dinosaurs. Uh, Goombas. <laughs> the Goombas, although, one fair, it's almost like they're trying to become completely different from Mario as well. Because the Goombas in the game are big heads, little bodies. <laughs> in the fit, they're like tiny heads, big boys. Yeah. But the scene that really confused me, but I think it's a brilliant scene just for how random it is. They go to de-evolve Mario into a chimp. Then he jumps out the way. <laughs> <laughs> and his rival plumber gets de-evolved instead. And like his workmen are like, oh God, what's happening? And everyone else is just laughing. Yeah. Now imagine you were standing there a guy with two dinosaur-looking creatures just appears, shoots someone, they turn into a monkey. Is your first instinct to laugh or to run? You're meant to be selling this. I know this, <laughs> but I just want to talk about this thing. Carl. Then um, you have to trust the fungus. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Trust the fungus. It's more than anyone ever has given that movie. It is the film that has set this ongoing argument that video game adaptations do not work video game adaptations into films just do not work at all i agree i don't think they do work no but the the, the one film that has even remotely got close to being a passable film is possibly assassin's creed but even and and maybe to an extent the 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 most recent tomb raider with alicia vikander as as lara croft but actually that super mario brothers film really did set this precedence in terms of adapting video games into films as a as a bean counting exercise as a way of making money from from movies as a franchise as a as a as an as a intellectual property is is absolute nonsense i think the problems of video game films is you have have two video games you have ones with no plot to speak of mm. you have ones with a plot already there yeah um i think it's the problem is transition because if you've got nothing I've heard rumours a while ago they were making a Tetris film. Yeah. How on earth are you going to adapt Tetris without yeah. having some liberties? That's I, true. I feel like the 
But I think why I probably might not Mario is that it is just completely different. It is just so, so different from the games. And when I watched it first time, I was like, what on earth? Yeah. This has just got... But... The fact you said watched it the first time. Yeah. I watched how many it, times have you how watched time, this? Yeah, how many times have you seen it? I watched it, I think, three. Okay. Because I watched time. it originally a few years ago. Then I watched it again, and I watched it on Sunday. Yeah. Preparation for this. Adam, I'm significantly older than you. Yeah. And I have had... I, I, I was of age when the first when it came out for the first time in 93 and yet so i've had plenty of time <laughs> to watch it on multiple occasions and yet you have watched it two more times than what i have had my entire life three times in two years <laughs> i think if you just distance i've watched it one time in 35 i think if you distance yourself from a being mario film because i think it, you are right it probably is not a mario film it mm. probably is something else and they've shoehorned I think Big Bertha, that was a fish, becomes a mass like a big woman uh, who's a bouncer. <laughs> right. And I'm just, that's I feel like things are obviously being shoehorned. The only thing that works, as in the film, is the bombs. Yeah. But they wear Reebok shoes. And apart from that, they're very similar. But if you did went in, not knowing it was called Super Mario, so they cut like the opening title, and just went right here's a film. You say, oh, this kind of reminds me of Super Mario, like, references to it. But I think it is a good film in its own right. Not perfect, but I think a fun romp, if anything. I will never watch that film. <laughs> Likewise. I'm never. Not. Have you? You've never watched it? I've never watched it. Why would I? Like, anything I've seen from it just looks horrendous. You've tried hard there, Adam. You have tried hard. You have tried hard, but it is, it is such a stain on my childhood... <laughs> That I will never ever watch it ever again. It's a bit like, and I love Bob Hoskins. It's a bit like *Grave of the Fireflies* on me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that's a work of art. Not at the time. I feel like at the time it was just miserable. <laughs> oh god, it, it, it is a film absolutely filled with misery, but it's very of that. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much, Adam. Thanks for recommending <laughs> *Super Mario Brothers* the movie. Uh, yeah, no, never going to watch it, ever, ever. Now it's time for our 30-second recommendations, films that we think that you need to see, but we're only going to have 30 seconds to ourselves to review them for you. So, Rob, over to you. What is your 30-second recommendation? Time starts... Now. Okay, mine is The American Astronaut. So this came out in 2001 uh, by Corey Maccabee. It's described as a space western musical um, where one of the Ravagers goes and takes a job from the Blueberry Pirate and he needs to provide the woman of Venus with a new king. I watched this when I was, well, I'd been 11. Didn't really understand it. Watched it much later in uni. And it's just a really good quirky film, all in black and white. Absolutely fantastic. And the songs are really, really quirky, but really, really good. Hey, that was nicely done. Well done. Excellent work. Okay, are you ready for me? Yeah. Okay. You ready? Three, two, one. Mine is Fighting With My Family, still out in cinemas at the moment, stars Nick Frost, 
Florence Pugh and uh, Dwayne Johnson, as well as a whole host of other uh, great actors, as well as Lena Headey, uh, tells the story of a wrestling family from Norwich. It's based on a true story, uh, which was inspired by a documentary that was on Channel 4 a few years ago. Uh, and it tells the story of a young female wrestler who uh, goes on to make it big within WWE. Um, really heartfelt, really funny, great stuff. Done. So there you go. So there is Fine With My Family and The American Astronaut. Adam, we're going to throw one over to you now. Are you got one? 30 second recommendation. 30 second recommendation. Are you ready to go? Yes, I've Three, got one. Two, one, go. I'd like to recommend the film Control. It's uh, about Ian Curtis, the lead singer of Joy Division. And it's very different from Hearing Rhapsody, which was more triumphant. Control's more, look how miserable this is really going for them. Uh, but I found it incredibly moving. And also very interesting being a fan of Joy Division myself. <laughs> you did that in 20 seconds. You that got was 10 a... more seconds. What do you want to say? In For... case forever! <laughs> <laughs> I wish you'd just stopped at the previous point. <laughs> Never mind. Um, we really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we've enjoyed making it for you. Please feel, Fred, uh, please feel free to share it out to friends, family, loved ones. As well as being on Anchor, we are now also on Pocket Casts. Yay! Yay! So if you have the Pocket Casts app, you can find us. All you need to do is look up I'm Talking Here with Rob Brent and Aaron Day. We should probably add Adam into that now, shouldn't we? We probably should. It's about time. Uh, I don't feel like spreading the wealth. No, that's not then. How much have we made from this podcast so far? Nothing. I want some of that. (laughs) You want some of nothing. So, yeah, as I said, you can find us on Anchor, on Pocket Casts. Um, We're trying to get it added onto things like Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as 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 some other uh, podcast platforms. But do keep listening. Let us know as well the kinds of things that you want us to talk about, any sort of strange, weird things involving film or or cinema that you would like for us to explore uh, as a three here. Um, So that leaves us to just... uh, pass you over to Rob Rob it's a bye from me no <laughs> that's not the catchphrase and please don't feel afraid I'm what's it I'm leaving here yeah okay do it again I'm leaving here thanks everybody <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>